Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So this is All Things Tibet episode two. We're here today, Taylor. We released I'm, episode one today. We did. I know. And it's so exciting. Like it. We were just talking about this a bit ago, but I really thought just our friends in the fandom were going to be the ones listening to it. I thought it was oh, going to be like our eight active friends in the Discord <laughs> server that yeah. are like going to give us feedback, but it's been a bunch of different people. People I don't even know. I don't know if you know them. I don't know nope. them all. And nope. they've been really supportive. So I know. I think in a time where there's been some division among Tibet fans, it's nice to have some support amongst them. Yeah, I was I was very pleasantly surprised by that. So thanks, guys. Yeah. When we recorded last week, we were really just talking about how we feel about Tibet. We didn't go into it being like, let's be, let's be philosophical about Tibet. Right. Let's, let's change hearts and minds. We were just talking about how we honestly feel about them and everybody that's given us feedback seems to have resonated with it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's really cool. It is very cool. So if you're one of those people, thank you so much for listening. And thanks so much for coming back. So we decided to say that Tuesday will be our release day. Yeah. Tuesday AM. Literally no particular reason, except for the fact that that's when I was done editing episode one. (laughs) So exactly. That's the significance. We really are hardcore about tradition here. We could pretend it was like, because it's the day before Pants Pod, but really, we didn't think that far ahead. I just woke up this morning and was like, it's done. Should I release it? And Brittany was like, sure. Yep, let's do it. So it's out in the world. We did it. And now we are going to jump into the first part of the pilot. And I don't know if you felt this way, but it's such a weird thing to watch I've been watching some of the more recent stuff with Gen Q, just kind of watching the Tibet clips. Mm-hmm. And then when I jump back into season one, it's just a totally different world. They're infants. They're unrecognizable. It's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah. It's it's really wild to me, especially Laurel. I mean, Laurel had such a baby face in season she one. Yeah. She, I mean, she looks different season to season. Every season right. she looks different to me. But like yeah. season one, she was a baby. And the pilot, especially because I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe the pilot, they filmed that a while before, like 2002 or something like that. That's almost 20 years ago. That's insane. So it's almost been two whole decades since they filmed the pilot. Well, since they filmed season one, because they did all of season one in the same summer. Yeah. And what's so interesting to me, too, is that I just will never get over the fact that Tina Laurel, she just looks so different season to season. She does. She has such a uniqueness about her. I don't know. And Jennifer Beals too, like she looks so young too. But she, again, she aged, she has aged so gracefully. Hers isn't as dramatic, I feel like, as Laurel. Although I will say what is dramatic for me about Jennifer is doing the math and realizing that in season one, she was like already... 41 I think yeah like that's insane especially because we look at season one bet and we're like that's a baby but she was 41 yeah 
what the fuck, Jennifer? Yep. And there was this radical kind of start. And I'm sure back in 2004, we were babies. I mean, I was a senior in high school. I actually, I was when, the show 10. Was, when the show was released, I was in my last part of eighth grade, to clarify. So I'm sure back in 2004, the way that they started with Bet and Tina in the pilot was probably pretty shocking to folks because oh, yeah. the first thing we see is Bet about to finger her wife in the bathroom. Yeah. Even though she doesn't. Yeah. That's a note that I made for today. Oh, good. Talk about that in a bit. Yeah, good. So the whole premise in this pilot is that they are trying to get pregnant. They're looking for a sperm donor and they they fail three times in the episode. Technically, they fail five times. Oh, yeah. And so (laughs) what is interesting to me is to see Bet's transition and journey through therapy as well because therapy is like one of the first things that we see them do in the pilot yes and she is so resistant to it in the beginning oh my god yes she just has all her walls up yeah and we notice immediately that work is super important to bet and she Mm -hmm. misses a lot of what's in front of her because she's so career focused one of the notes i made for this episode was just in all caps bet focus god damn it (laughs) I mean, seriously, we see it as time goes on too, right? Once Tina is pregnant the first time, Beth's on her phone. She's literally got her headphones plugged in when they're doing the ultrasound. If I'm not mistaken, that was the first time they saw the baby. I think so. Uh And she's on her phone in the hospital, which back in 02, you mean to tell me that you were even getting service in a hospital? (laughs) Really? Hang up the damn phone. And Tina addresses that in season two as well. She said, Bet is pretty self-absorbed or self-centered. She yeah. doesn't always see what's in front of her or something to that effect. I, I think she says that to Jody later on too, that she'll be like, mm-hmm. yeah, she can be pretty self-absorbed or she misses what's right in front of her a lot. Completely. So she's really resistant to therapy. She doesn't think that Dan has the credentials or... Yeah. Because he's a straight white man. Yeah, she doesn't think that he is suitable as a therapist for them. Right. And again, it's just sometimes when you really think about this show, it's so wild because then later on in season five, she's like, let's go see Dan. (laughs) Dan will know what to do. He knows this better than anyone. But from the jump, she didn't want anything to do with Dan. My favorite about that is when Tina, in response to that, goes, Dan Foxworthy? <laughs> like, they, like, they know so many other Dans. <laughs> the pilot is when we see more men in the show, like, I yeah. think, than ever. They yeah. don't have a ton of male friends. I mean, geez, they had to have Kit's son be, like, the spokesperson yeah. to show that they would have male involvement in Angie's life. Which I don't get why they did that when like James was a perfectly good option and was literally right there. James is your favorite character of the <laughs> series. I love him. Okay. I mean, I think he might, I think it might go James and then Tibet. <laughs> a couple clicks down, not even like right underneath James. You love James. No, you know what it is? It's just that I think he deserves a fucking medal for yeah. putting up with Bet for yeah. as long as he did. Like, yeah, I mean, he really put up with her shit. Yeah, not only for who knows how long before the series, mm-hmm. but also 
through every single job change that yep. Bet has throughout the series, which is a lot because again, she can't fucking focus. And yep. I was really surprised that he was not there in Gen Q. I'm not going to lie. Of the list of folks that I'm missing from the original series, Dana, Kit, even at times, Jenny. There's a few moments in Gen Q. I was like, Jenny would have fit into this situation. Yeah. <laughs> but James is another one. Bring him back. What is he up to these days? There's no way he's busy because if Jennifer Beals called him up and asked him to come back, who wouldn't say yes to her? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I do think Preston Cook has a kid now with that girl from 10 Things I Hate About You. and Julia Stiles. Yeah, that one. Yeah. But like, don't all actors need work right now? I mean, we're in yeah. the middle of a pandemic. That's a question. I wonder um, if they live in Vancouver or LA, because if they live in Vancouver, that could be problematic. But if they live in LA, call point. Preston Cook, Jennifer. And I don't know if he was with Julia Stiles before. Anyways, we're going on a whole different tangent that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Went so, on a James tangent. Yeah. So some of the observations I made right away, just from just reviewing the season one paying a little bit more close attention to kind of themes of Tibet is that mm -hmm. they have had issues with communication from the start oh yeah they're like ships in the night they don't see each other or hear each other and it's like they're speaking two different languages sometimes we know that one of the big things is that at the start of the series they had a sexless relationship going on three years that's when I made a note here that twice Bet denied Tina in that episode she left her yes, she did once in the bathroom and then in the doctor's office yep it leads me to believe that it might be bet that's kind of holding the sex in their relationship back and not yeah. Tina. yeah which is funny because i feel like there's sort of this conception in the fandom that bet is so hypersexual which she is but the assumption seems to be that tina is the problem in their sex life and yeah i can't think of a moment in the show when that was actually true because i don't think it is yeah i mean i it guess a bit at the beginning of season three because you know she just had a baby bet this is true and still wasn't true. over you cheating on her and was like i really don't feel that attractive right now but mm -hmm. other than that pretty sure it was bet <laughs> there was no way that we were going to see a sex scene in season three anyways because jennifer was pregnant yeah so in my opinion it was kind of silly to put so much emphasis on that because it's, we knew we were going to be anyways there's a lot of disappointments along the way things that just yeah. didn't add up or make sense did you read what selena posted today about the reddit conversation i'm going to read it to you because you're going to get a kick out of this okay as the conversation goes in Reddit, love and affection by Joan Arma Trading will always be the Tina and Bet fuck song. And someone said, is that the song in the chicken stir fry scene? And the guy Fleetwood Hack said, yes, ma'am, where they're making stir fry for a one-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and then Curious Turtle 5 responded, I always laugh when Beth says they're not going to be back for a couple hours. Then why are you making it now, Beth? Stripper takes like 20 minutes to make. And then Fleetwood Hack said, oh my gosh, that is such an L word thing. I mean, and so really, I read that right before we started recording today. And it's it's been in my mind the whole time about all oh these my things God. that just don't make any sense. <laughs> Everyone's so obsessed about what happened to the stir fry. They didn't think about why it existed in the first yeah, place. Yeah, like just recently, I noticed that in the stir fry scene, there was like a repeat shot of the books on the bed when Tina pushes yeah. them off the bed. Yeah. Like they come back. 
of course, I never noticed that before. And the many yeah. times I've watched that scene. So clearly, the editor didn't notice it either. Yeah, they were really distracted. Or, I don't or, blame them. Or did and was like, "This is the closest I can get." Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So lack of communication is a big thing among them. They're in the sexless marriage for three years. And one of the other things I noticed about them right away that happens is that they kind of speak on behalf of each other without actually checking in with one another. Bet says, Tina and I need to talk about this. And there's one other instance, I think, where she does that or Tina does that with her. But they didn't come to that consensus. That kind of comes up later in season one, too, because Tina says to... The guy she's doing the nonprofit work with. I don't think that Bet and I something speaks on behalf of both of them. And he's like, You haven't even talked to Bet. Yeah. How would you know? So that comes up a lot in season one. They're on two totally separate pages, but yet any chance they get, they're talking on behalf of one another or speaking on behalf of them as a couple when they clearly are not in agreement of what is going on in their everyday life. Right. They're just on two totally different worlds, like two different yeah. planes. They're in two different headspaces, I feel like, for most of the first season. Yes. And they're I, not- I would agree. They're not talking. When we see them talk, there's no substance in what they're saying to one another. I mean, Jesus Christ, they don't even talk when they lose their baby. There it is. And you notice, I mean, geez, Beth didn't even take time off when Tina- miscarried nope so the purpose of this podcast was never to be so harsh and critical of bet but man she makes some really grave mistakes and i think one of them we see repeatedly is just her laser vision in only being able to see what's going on in her space in her world and not those around her even this woman who is the love of her life she's been with for seven years she doesn't see her you and i have talked about this a lot but i think part of the reason we tend to dwell on bet's flaws more in this podcast is not because tina doesn't have them but because Mm -hmm. at least in my experience the Mm -hmm. discourse in the fandom seems to focus on those flaws of tina's Mm -hmm. so much more than honestly what i think are the equally as, if not more glaring flaws that Bet has. And Bet mm-hmm. just kind of gets a pass for all of her shitty behavior and everything is Tina's fault. I don't want oh, yeah. anyone listening to this to be like, oh my God, these chicks hate Bet. No, I love Bet. Mm-hmm. I love Bet and I love Jennifer, but I think one of the things that Jennifer does really well is accept the fact that Bet's a bit of a disaster. And I think that's part of what makes her a compelling character. And I think that not acknowledging that does Jennifer's work and Eileen's work a disservice. And I have seen a discussion, it might have been on Twitter, about this idea of why Tibet ends up broken up at the end of season one. That's eventually what we'll get to. And one of the things that was an opinion of a fan was that they never anticipated that Tibet was going to be the center of the show so much of the focus because Jenny was we saw the show through Jenny's lens for some time and Jenny and maybe Marina's relationship but then we know that that actress ends up not even coming back she comes back for like one episode for the rest of the series but anyways all that to say that I don't know that they were expecting the reaction that they got from fans 
on this love for Tibet? Again, I can't cite an exact source for this. I just know that I had heard it or read it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I believe the plan was always to have Bet and Tina break up. Oh, really? I believe, okay. I believe that was Eileen's plan from the beginning. So maybe it wasn't always her plan for them to get back together. Again, I just remember seeing this in interviews. I'll 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 cite my sources later. I'll post right. them on Twitter or something. It's fine. Sure. But I I also believe that they weren't sure about Bet and Tina getting back together until that scene in season or when they're at the, the lunch yeah. outside and they both get the cup yeah. salad. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I think they had no idea yep. that people were going to get so attached to yep. this couple. Yeah, I believe that it was Rose Trochet. Got to give it up for Rose Trochet, man. They need to bring her back for Gen Q and save save their sorry asses. But <laughs> Rose, please come back. Seriously, Rose, if you're if you're listening to this, can you please just come back? I think it was Rose that realized that there was still so much between them and that they were leaving the fans hanging by not exploring them more together. Jennifer and Laurel talked a lot about this at the L5 convention that one of the things that was really hard, at least for Laurel, was that we were only seeing them in conflict when they weren't together between beginning of season three to late season four. And finally, by late season four, they become friends again. I also think that while we talk so much about Tibet's chemistry and it's so prevalent even from the beginning, like the scene when they're sitting on the couch after that party where they're trying to find the sperm donor and they're just sitting Mm -hmm. there. They're not doing anything but sitting there and like Tina's playing with Bet's hair. And we also see how soft Bet is from the start when it comes to Tina because Bet's like nuzzled into her. And so we see that chemistry immediately. But what I think is the problem sometimes, in my opinion, is that we mistake that closeness and that intimacy for being all they need. Like it's the ticket to long-term success in their relationship, but knowing that there's so many other issues that they're so deeply flawed in. So they, yes, they have amazing chemistry and I love seeing them together in any scene, but that doesn't mean that there's not huge glaring gaps when it comes to their relationship. And I think going back to the divorce and how you and I are both kind of like, yeah, about it. You mentioned all of that tension and all of that conflict that they were put in and they never talk about it. Yeah. I mean, in the elevator scene for five seconds, barely. I mean, for God's sake, they barely talked about Candace. It was just like, oh, Angie's here. We're back together. And now we're not. And now yeah. we are. And and they never talk about any of the things mm-hmm. that happened between them. They never talked about Bet freaking kidnapping their daughter. <laughs> they never talk about any, any of it. Any yeah. of it. They didn't talk about Candace. They didn't talk much about their miscarriage. They didn't talk about their glaring issues. If Joyce Wishnia hadn't intervened, it's hard to imagine what would have actually been the outcome with them. It would have gotten really ugly. Yeah. And in some ways, I almost wish, I don't want to see them in conflict, but I would have actually liked to see a raw moment bigger than them just arguing about preschools, them actually laying their hearts on the line and saying, this is not okay. Because I feel like several times when we got close to that, something else happened. In the elevator scene, when Tina was saying, I was awful to you when I was with Henry, I used Angelica against you, Bet cuts her off and doesn't let her finish. 
And, I, and again, that's such a beautiful scene. So I don't want to take away from it. But yeah. again, just like we mistake the fact that because Bette and Jennifer Beals, they're so gorgeous and stunning that we miss the fact that there's a very deeply rooted, complicated, complex character there. We miss a lot of the flaws and we miss a lot of the holes in the relationship of Tibet because we're so drawn into their chemistry. And they're there right from the beginning. Yes, that it's undeniable. Yeah, it's undeniable. Even if you haven't listened to a interview or it's pretty well known at this point that when they were casting Tina, they had at least two people that were in the running, her and one other woman. And mm-hmm. Jennifer was, I think, off doing another project at the time. Yeah, she was. So they they had to have the two women come in, Laurel and this other woman come in, and they filmed the chemistry that Jennifer had with them. And mm-hmm. Jennifer's dogs were okay with Laurel. This other woman who came into the trailer, like, freaked out about Jennifer's dogs. And yeah. it became a whole thing. And I always say I would kill to see that footage. I can only imagine what it was like because they just have this undeniable connection. Episode one, it just felt like we were watching this couple and you would reference this in the first episode that there's so many years between them and they play it so well. They played it so well at the start of the original series. They played it so well in the start of Gen Q. It's like they played it so well. They really looked like a long-term couple. Yeah, these did not strike you as women who had just met not that long ago. Yeah, like basically yesterday prior to filming. (laughs) Yeah, like they were like, oh, seven years. And you're like, yeah, I buy that. 100%. And that's not easy to do. No. In my professional opinion, that's (laughs) not, it's not. How many couples do you think of that episode one you're like, yeah, they've been together forever. Yeah. The only other couple that comes to mind is my favorite, Jack and Rebecca, and you know that. They similarly... Yep, they met and had yeah. amazing chemistry from the jump. And I think that's why there is such this Tina coming back in Gen Q when she did. It mm-hmm. was just so much more emotional than I think any of us were even prepared for. I think I it wasn't... was more emotional than the cast was prepared for. I mean, yeah. for Leisha, and I mean, I'm not shocked that Jennifer was crying because Jennifer's yeah. always crying. Yeah. But for Leisha to be bawling her eyes out in the middle of the table read. Oh, yeah. That's insane. Like, yeah. I mean, in the most beautiful way possible. Yeah. But that's, that's rare. Well, and we think about like the excitement that happened when Laurel was on the pants pod. It was awesome too. When Jennifer was on the pants pod back in September, it was cool to be able to listen to her take on Tibet and hear more about her story, whatever. But when Laurel came on, we were ready and we had been begging for it. It's all we wanted because there is this familiarity. There's this comfort in this couple. Seeing Laurel and Jennifer back on screen in Gen Q was like, one of the most vital missing pieces of the season up until then. I remember watching, like, you know, getting through what, six or seven episodes, whenever Tina had come back and nothing really struck me. I was watching because I had watched the first series and I was invested, Mm -hmm. but nothing struck me until Tina came back. And I think going back to what we were talking about, about them needing to have a conversation, if they had it now and it was written the way that I think it could be written, Mm -hmm. And the way that to give the Gen Q writers props here, I think they are capable of. Absolutely. It would be beautiful. 
almost more so now that they're older and they've been apart and that their daughter is now grown because I feel like at least in season two, I feel like in a way they got back together because of Angie. And so now for them to just sit with each other as two laying it out there, because I think Bet is capable of that kind of conversation now where maybe she wasn't before. Sure. That, that would be exquisite. Yeah, it would be. So don't drop the ball, writers. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. As a fandom, we deserve it. And I say this, we say this as yet still very new fans. We have a lot of friends who've been watching this from basically day one, and they're not asking for it. They're demanding it. It's a little different for us. We're valid as fans, and I feel like we are just as diehard as some of our other ones. But I think of some of our friends in Discord that are just, they have been holding on to this hope for Tibet for so long. Shifting gears a little bit. We went over some of the points, but I guess if we're really going to talk about the episode, the big things. Yes. No, I think it was good that we went over general things. Yes. How they relate yes. to the piece as a whole. And now we can really yeah. dive in and dig into the minutia a bit. So I'm going to let you lead. Go ahead. What? Uh, okay. Um, talk about the order. I'll jump in. Okay. So much of the start with them until we get to the bathroom scene is just shots. Which, to be fair, that first shot of them is gorgeous and beautiful and kind of makes me want to cry a little bit and I do love that it is contrasted with these shots of Tim getting ready for Jenny and that they Mm -hmm. are the wholesome domestic couple because that's sort of a subversion you would think Mm -hmm. oh the straight couple is that but the first shot we get of them is just this really sweet domestic shot one of them laying in bed yeah And the first time we hear them speak is when Tina's in the bathroom. She takes an ovulation test and she finds out that she's ovulating and Beck comes in. In some ways, she almost looks like she's in a stupor. It's like she just woke up. She basically woke her up to tell her that she was ovulating. Yeah. And then we see there's almost this moment of them having sex right there in the bathroom. And of course, Beck's like, get dressed I'll take I'll drop you off my way or whatever she says to her yeah and you can like see Tina just deflate exactly bet I love you but my god do you not see how much this woman wants you yeah and can you not reject her because she's everything please I mean I don't even think it was a rejection though I think bet was just so in bet land oh she was just aloof yeah, she's busy thinking, okay, I have to get Annie to calm down about the show and yeah. I have to call James and tell him to do this. Yeah. And I have to get these paintings and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. just completely missed the yep. fact that Tina was just there and ready for her. Bet, please. Please wake up. So they go to the planet and they have this interaction with their friends. And then the whole intent is that they're going to meet up later at therapy and then they're going to go to the doctor's office because in between that time they'd gone to see who they thought would be their sperm donor. And one of the things that they don't talk about that's interesting is that it sounds like they had been trying. That wasn't their first attempt. It sounded like they had actually been trying to get pregnant for a bit. It makes me wonder, were they always using that donor and he just- Yeah, because I think I didn't- get this detail because I was watching the Tibet scenes and Bet wasn't in the scene. But I do remember Tina saying when they found out that his sperm had basically no motility at all, Mm -hmm. she was like, that's why we've tried X times and Mm -hmm. I'm still not pregnant or whatever. So 
And I think that's kind of interesting in terms of Bet and her control issues mm-hmm. that it had to be her donor, even though it hadn't worked, I don't know, like three or four times or whatever it was, they kept trying because it had yep. to be that guy because that was the guy that Bet wanted. Yeah. And again, they go to therapy. As we said before, Bet is just completely against, I shouldn't say she's against it. She shows up, but she's like yeah. not engaged at all. No, she shows up. Yeah, she shows up because she knows she has to for Tina. She's checking the box. And I think it's what's interesting and really telling is that when they're at the planet before they go, Bet's leaving and she turns around and goes, What time am I supposed to meet you at what's his names? She doesn't even know the therapist's name. Bet. Come on. And it's clear at that point that. Tina recognizes that they have some issues in their relationship. Yes. But that, again, is, it's kind of like you said, checking of the box. What do we have to complain about? I'm a provider for my family. I work hard. Tina t- is taking time off work to raise our child. All is well. But yeah. there's this whole other side missing that that just can't see. And I think it's really telling, too, that Dana's shocked that they're going to therapy. She says to Tina, you're the most healthy couple I know or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it makes you wonder if they haven't been having sex for three years. First of all, that's almost half their relationship. Yeah, I feel like we don't talk about that enough. When did these issues start? Why did they start? And why don't their friends know that they're happening? And it it would make sense that they would know something or they would they would have an inkling of something based on how much time we see that they're spending with their friends. It's not like they're this couple that's isolated. Geez, they live next door to Tim. And down the road, it ends up being Jenny and Shane. I mean, they're interconnected with these people, their family. It makes you wonder the truth that, that they reveal about their relationship. I think it becomes less shocking, especially to Alice, because Alice, yes, in my opinion, is one of the more intuitive characters of the show. Yes. Because when Tina starts spending more time with her friends during the day because she's not working, when the affair happens, Alice is one of the only ones that seems to be not over the top, just shocked from the whole thing. One, because she had a previous relationship with Bet, so I don't think she was surprised. And two, I just think that she probably sensed something that maybe Shane and Dana didn't pick up on. It's interesting because I think a lot of the times Alice is almost the bridge between Bet and Tina when they're having yeah. issues, which I think is part of the reason it felt so weird to not have Alice in the episode that Tina was in, which yeah. I know part of it was because Leisha was off for that shooting block or whatever, but yeah. it just felt weird to have yeah. Tina not see Alice at all because yeah. it's Alice Tina goes to when yeah. she finds out about the affair. We were talking about this the other day. She's the first one both times to find out that Tina is pregnant. She's very close to both of them. And she Mm -hmm. is one of the only people who constantly calls Bet on her bullshit. And so I think she is kind of this very important friend for both of them. And so it is kind of odd to see that piece not quite be in place yet. It's true. And even... Leisha and Laurel were joking about this on the Pants Pod episode. 
who knows who's listening to this, right? We looked at our analytics today and there's people from all over the world that are watching it and listening. And that's great. But if for some reason you missed that Jennifer and Moral were both on the pants pod that Kate and Leisha host, please go and listen to those episodes because they talk a lot about, especially season one, but they also talk about their feelings on Tibet. And I loved when Laurel and Leisha were joking that that Tina was like beamed down on <laughs> yeah. Tibet's doorstep. Yeah. Like wouldn't I have seen you in the car? And like Kate joked that she would be like, oh no, I got something to do with Nat. Like I can't make it. She wasn't there. They didn't show them interacting outside of Bet's house. Alice was not at Dana's when they had brunch, Shane yeah. and Bet and Tina. And I just love the way Leisha said, I called you teeth. We were so close. You, you know. Yeah. So yeah, there's some oversight there. But yeah, I agree. I think one of the things I also talked about, an observation that I kind of made is that Shane is the only non-problematic relationship that Bet has. Yes. Everyone in her life, family, friends, you name it. She's the only non-problematic person. And I think the reason why that is, is because Shane just tends to be really passive when it comes to Bet. She's not like Alice. Alice will just say how it is. Whereas Shane is so much more, I'm going to keep to myself. I'm not going to rock the boat. She was a very neutral friend across the board. Which is also very valuable, I think. But especially for Tina, because at least in the beginning, she hadn't found or had lost her voice. Mm -hmm. I think Alice was really important for her because she was willing to be like, bet you had an affair. Stop making Tina out like she's equally to blame for this. She wasn't fucking around. You were. And Bet has this moment where she's like, I thought that you were my friend. You know, like she gets, she gets really territorial and controlling, but it would make sense that Tina would go to Alice when the affair happened later on in season one. So when they're in therapy and Bet's kind of resistive to the whole process and they talk about the fact that they hadn't had sex for three years and they both kind of try to downplay it. Like, Oh yeah. I have plenty of couples that don't have sex or whatever. Yeah. And we, they, again, they know it's a big issue. Tina especially picks up that it's an issue, Yeah, but they don't want to talk about it. One of the things that I wrote about that scene that I have always noticed, but that I really was kind of, my actor brain turned on this watch mm-hmm. through and I was really sure. examining a lot of Tina's motivations and actions and how, if I was playing the scene, why I would be, reacting the way that Laurel was reacting. And Mm -hmm. as soon as the insemination comes up, Tina is like conversation over. This is happening. It's the fiercest we see her arguably in most of season one. Oh, for sure. And she also says, I think this line, the wording of this line is really interesting that she says, I was a pretty successful development executive. Yep, yep. And we kind of talked about this last time that even when Tina and Bet met, Tina was already doing pretty well in her career. Mm-hmm. So depending on when she left or stopped working or whatever, mm-hmm. she could have been a pretty big deal by the time she left. And so I think for me, what I was really keeping in mind this time particularly at the end, because I've always struggled with figuring out why when they're all laughing about ridiculous Quebecois man, Tina's like so serious and mad about it. But I think it's important to remember how high the stakes are for her. Mm -hmm. 
after the fifth failure, she's got to be sitting there going, what if it doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. And I threw my life away. No one, none of their friends know that or notice that. Bet certainly doesn't think of no, it that way. And I think when you remember that, it makes a lot of Tina's actions and reactions in the pilot make a lot more sense. Absolutely. I also think that we see Tina stand her firmest, not just in season one, but anytime it has to do with her being a mother, that's like it for her. She'll deal with Bet's shit. She'll deal with her being her. But when it comes to their child, she doesn't fuck around. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Bet kidnapping her when they're in Canada, whether it's them arguing about preschools, whatever it is, she's no nonsense when it comes to that. And so I think you're right. I also was thinking about what was so telling about that scene when everyone's laughing after the fifth attempt of trying to get a sperm donor that didn't work and why Tina was just so distraught. It was hard for her. Again, it was another time where I feel like Bet could have recognized that and they could have talked. But instead she throws a hissy fit and storms out of the planet. And knowing how vitally important this is to her, we see in the second part of the pilot that Bet makes the decision on who their sperm donor is going to be. And she doesn't include Tina fully in that process like she said that she was going to. She informs her that they have a sperm donor, but she doesn't inform her that he's Black and Bet doesn't see any issue with the fact that she left that information out. Yeah, and I was thinking about this as I was watching the party scene this time. Every single man they talk to, all five, are all white. So no wonder she was fucking surprised, Bet. And and to her credit, I think it's telling that Tina says she doesn't have a problem with Bet being Black or with their child being Black. And I have to say, while I get what Dan Foxworthy was saying in that episode, I think he kind of misunderstood because I she was shocked. I mean, yeah. not only was Marcus Black, he's huge. That shot when Tina opens the door and just cranes her head mm-hmm. and looks up like double her height. And she is right. Acknowledging the fact that I'm speaking about this as the whitest person in the universe, that is a lot of otherness to put on a child, Mm -hmm. especially in 2004. And I think it's telling that Bet does have to have that conversation with Angie and Jen Q. Mm -hmm. She has to say the rules are different for you. That's my part two tangent. (laughs) Well, and I also am thinking more about what you said in regards to Tina did have a lot on the line when it came to getting pregnant. And Mm -hmm. what we find out later too, is that it sounded like even when Tina was working, that was really the main provider in their relationship. So we're talking about someone that has acclimated herself into her partner's friend group who has left her career, who is trying to get pregnant. And she knows and she recognizes because it's her idea to go to therapy that they're not a hundred percent. So if I was Tina, yeah, I would be shitting my pants too. A hundred percent I would be. 
Yeah, especially when Bet shows up to therapy and is like, I'm just going to pat your knee and walk away. Yeah. I believe one of the notes I made for this episode was pat her knee one more time, Bet. I fucking dare you. She did it in the doctor's office too when she she's does walking it like out. Three times in the first yeah. part of the pilot. And I'm like, I am going to bite your hand. It is really easy, especially in season one, to talk a lot about what their flaws are. But I think it shows that Tina was so fiercely protective and really viewed this as it was her and Beth's journey, but she was willing to do it alone come season two when she got pregnant end of season one into season two. But it says a lot about the trust between, especially that Tina has for Beth, that Beth is raising Angie alone present day. Yes. Not just her as a person, but her as a parent. And what we know about Tina, it's hard to even envision that she would have moved so far away from her daughter. Mm-hmm. She it wouldn't have just Laurel left. too. Yeah. Again, it's this closeness and this way that they're a family unit, even when Tina and Beth are not a couple. So we get to the doctor's office. They have the party. And that's kind of where things leave off. They're laughing about the fact that they couldn't find a donor at the yeah. end of the pilot and we know what's to come. And episode two is is a little bit more eventful, but there's a lot of focus in season one with Tibet, just really focusing on them trying to get pregnant, this process of Tina being pregnant. We know she miscarries. And then what we don't know at the end of season one is that she's pregnant again. I broke and, Brittany's brain when I dropped that little revelation on her. Yeah. It was either you or Muriel, but I know I reacted with you about it. Someone told me, I remember immediately messaging you and being like, oh my fucking God, I cannot believe I never picked up on this, that she was pregnant (laughs) at the end of season one. And she was pregnant during that, but just devastating sex scene that they had. When I think of that sex scene, that's how I think of it. Just devastating. I just think as another example, just of Bet being Bet, After three years of not getting laid, she's in the middle of going down on her girlfriend and she's like, wait, 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 wait. I have to make a point. Bet, my dude, a prime example of Tina being the top in their relationship right from the beginning is that little nod that she gives Bet when she stops. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just what are you doing? Why are you stopping? Make your point later, bitch. (laughs) There is a lot of things that Taylor and I will listen to and hear other points of view on when it comes to the Bet. But there is absolutely no discussion when it comes to the fact that Tina is the top and Bet is the bottom, period. Don't come for me. Amber, don't tell me that <laughs> Bet is a power bottom. I don't want to hear it. She's a bottom, okay? Yeah, Period. I mean, also a power bottom, still a bottom. Just saying. There you go. We recognize from the beginning that even when Bet is kind of disgruntled about having to do things, she will do them for Tina. She might kick yeah. and scream along the way, but she will do them. I think she would do anything for Tina. The problem is, is that she often misses the emotional connection of it and the importance of it to Tina. Yes. And I think that's kind of where their flaws rub up against each other a little bit is that Bet is very bad at listening and Tina is very bad at talking. She suppresses so much for so Mm -hmm. long and just doesn't open her mouth and be like, Bet, I need you to actually fucking pay attention to me for five seconds. So I think that's something that through the entire series continues to kind of be a problem for them. And it's one of the things that I love the most about Jen Q Tina. 
Jen Cutina pulled no punches. She really did at all. She just laid it out there when she was like, are you still seeing that woman? Which I have so many questions about the way that Laurel played that moment. But that's another rant. That said, again, that's one of the reasons that I think they could almost work better now is because Mm. Tina isn't afraid to be like, pet, you're a fucking idiot. Or bet you take up so much space. And Beth isn't in that like naive phase where she doesn't recognize that she is so selfish. She recognizes the damage that she's done. And there's a saying that sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you realize how much damage you've done, essentially. And I feel like that's so true with Beth. She had to get divorced and lose a campaign and lose her sister, all these things to realize oh shit, I can't stand behind my accolades anymore because look where it's gotten me. I think for as much as we can hate on Gen Q that they missed the mark when it came to Tibet, I think in some ways they kind of hit it right on the head with who they are fundamentally as a couple. Yeah. This is just a funny, haha small detail moment, but I love that Tina does not know what a weave is. I believe what I wrote in my notes was, Tina, your white girl is showing. Do you see baby Angie's hair? You mean like the poof that she has on top of her head? I have a a friend who is also biracial and she was like, baby Angie's hair makes me so mad. It's like, I cannot think of a single black mom that would let her child go out with hair like that. That's so true. I think that we have comprehensively gone over part one of the pilot we will dive into part two in the next episode and that's all i have yeah this is all things to bet this is season one episode two and this is the end of our episode i'm Brittany. i'm taylor and we'll see you next time this has been an episode of all things to bet podcast hosted by taylor and Brittany. At this time, we do not have any sponsorships, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email at allthingstobet at gmail.com. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under All Things Tibet Podcast, and you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash allthingstobet. We post new episodes every Tuesday, and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.